Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand, Carl, you remember making an impact on you as a young boy? Southwest Airlines, probably. I have a big personal connection to Southwest. My parents were divorced, and um, so I spent many a day flying back and forth on Southwest between Austin and Houston. And as I got to know the brand better, um, the brilliance behind what Herb Kelleher was up to is pretty amazing. You know, he said, first of all, uh, I'm competing with buses, not other airplanes. You want to talk about a guy that had all kinds of headwinds in his face, the likes of American Airlines and Braniff with a bunch of politicians in their pockets, making it almost impossible for him to run an airline and saying, you know what, I don't care. We're going to make this happen. And I think a lot of what we experience even today with them, you know, goes back to the heart of who they are and the attitude. And I've used to travel all over the world. I've got, you know, status on just about every airline. And my favorite one to get on is Southwest. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Carl Laredo, the chief marketing officer of Wendy's, the fresh, never frozen burger chain started by Dave Thomas in 1969 in Columbus, Ohio. Wendy's now serves up burgers, breakfast, frosties, and more in 6,700 restaurants across the world, with sales across the franchise operation expected to grow 6 to 8% in 2022. Wendy's has a long standing history of advertising and marketing creativity. Remember, where's the beef? Wendy's brought us the first modern drive-through, a partnership with Fortnite that won a Grand Prix in Cannes, and on and on. Carl and team recently made headlines with their cleverly designed Wendyverse in Meta's Horizon Worlds. My guest Carl has been at Wendy's nearly six years, three as CMO. He has both an undergraduate degree and an MBA from the University of Texas, Austin. He has worked in tech, consumer goods, home decor, and even a stint in an ad agency. Carl is a father of teenage twins, and even though he lives in the Buckeye State, he is a Texan at heart. Ask him someday about his pickup truck. This is my conversation with Carl Laredo. Carl, I don't want to intimidate you early in this recording, but I have dug deeply into the Wendy's archives, and I have a quick five-question quiz for you. Are you game for that? 
I'm game. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. The first question is, what famous CMO at Wendy's was a jumper on his college water skiing team? Oh, that might be Mr. Juan Carlos Laredo, otherwise known (laughs) as Carl. Oh, well, that's that sounds like a boondoggle. I'm feeling better about this quiz now, so keep (laughs) keep going. This This is great. This is the easy part. That was the easy one. That was the layup. Second question, how many commercials did your founder, Dave Thomas, appear in beginning in what year? This is like NPR, right? This is these impossible questions. Yeah, I love it. I know it's hundreds. And um, I have to imagine that that started in the mid 80s. And uh, legend has it that um, we kept getting a lot of feedback from the agencies around uh, the performance of the actors. And so that was one piece as well as the franchisees. So they finally just put Dave in the work and it was really hard for folks to uh, complain about that. But uh, yeah, I know it was hundreds. I think it was in the neighborhood of like 800 ads that Dave was in, which is pretty impressive. Well, you got that one right. 800 and 1989. So that's, that's a score for you. All right. Third question, what year did your first mobile app launch? Well, that was a couple of years ago. So um, we were out there and it's pretty amazing if you think through what was going on in the midst of the pandemic, all the things that we had going on. We had loyalty roll through right after we got rolling in, in, um, in 01. So it's been a, a, a very wild ride for us as, as you think through all the things that had to come together. And we were out there with the app before that, but um, you know, really as it got rolling, um, to, to drive that forth, that was it was crucial for us, you know, right after pandemic in uh, midsummer of, of 2000. 2012 was actually the year your first mobile app launched, which is just incredible. I mean, you guys had this heritage of creativity and innovation, which we're going to talk about later. The fourth question, Wendy's is the biggest brand partner on which live streaming interactive service? Well, that would be Twitch. Good, good. I hope you get that one right. Yeah, no, it's it's been an amazing partnership for us. And, you know, hopefully we can talk a little bit more about it. But, you know, as I think about gaming and in particular the engagement we have with our consumers, um, it's pretty fascinating to think that gaming has now overtaken music and entertainment combined. And um, my son's 14. He plays a lot of Fortnite, Madden, you mm-hmm. can imagine. And um, it's it's been fascinating where I'll, I'll walk in and he'll be watching something. I was like, you know, in the early days, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm watching ninja play this game and i'm like first of all who's ninja second of all you're watching someone else play a video game like why are you wasting your time with this stuff and you know as i've come to understand more and more about the gaming culture and all those components to be a part of that what we were able to do with Fortnite, and um and ultimately you know to be the biggest brand partner but to have the number of folks that participate with us in the gaming world as a as a player versus you know us forcing our way into gaming has been a really really cool way to engage Last question, and this goes way back. What was the sales lift from one of the most famous ad campaigns in history, Wendy's Where's the Beef? Yeah, so Clara Peller uh, with those famous lines of, of Where's the Beef? And it's interesting if you think about the challenger with charm that we've always been, uh, just another great example of that type of work. I think legend has it that we saw about a 30% lift as we uh, got that work out there. And really just to show that you know, to the extent that you can engage with the right consumer in the right way and give them a meaningful message that, you know, that they can resonate with, it really can move the needle. And that's our job, right? So I know that you've done a lot of that in your career. And ultimately, my goal is to break the financial models around here too each and every day with the work that we do. So um, that's the name of the game. And certainly that ad and that campaign is legendary for us, but also, I think just indicative of what great marketing all the way around can do for a business. And, um, you know, that really changed the course for Wendy's as a brand. 
Yeah, it's a great proof point. I was very, very new at PNG at the time. And we use that case to, again, show the skeptics, even in a place like P&G, that great advertising and great concepts can lift a business. Yeah. And that was a beauty. And you're right. 30% plus was the lift from that campaign, which, you know, even at that time on your scale, that was a big move. Yeah, it, it's pretty impressive stuff. We, we tell the legends, and you probably know the stories better about all of the, uh, the trade models that you guys had at P&G. And I use that example with my marketing leadership team every day. It's like, hey, you can go invest a lot of money in trade, but ultimately our job is to be able to move the needle well beyond that. And I think I hear that if you couldn't do that in a year at P&G, it was time to find something new to do. So <laughs> more or less, we certainly uh, know that that's the goal for the programming that we put forth as well. And, um, you know, that's that's what we're here for every day. Well, Carl, that's five questions. I'll, I'll give you a five out of five on that. All right. Thanks. So, good start to the podcast. I appreciate it. You lead an organization that by all measures is highly innovative, fast, seemingly fearless, extremely consumer-centric, has a great sense of humor, and is now the number two burger chain in America. So Carl, you are an amazing, you lead an amazing group of being first on so many things, trying so many things, getting results, kind of endless creativity. So I want to start with that big question, how do you do what you do? Well, first of all, I appreciate it. And that's oh, true. It's absolutely true. Well, we, we've done some great work. And, and I'd start with, um, we have an unbelievable team here at Wendy's. And I'd be remiss in suggesting that uh, any of those results aren't a part of everything that this group is doing together. And I think that's a big part of it right now is um, collaboration matters more than ever. We've been through a bunch uh, over the course of my time as a CMO. I think my hair has gotten... Um, almost completely gray at this point, not all the way there yet, but uh, it's amazing how much grayer my hair is. But, um, you know, all of us working together with, you know, clarity about who we want to be and where we want to go has mattered a lot. And, you know, look, first and foremost, you got to know who you are as a brand. And we have a lot of clarity around that. You talked about it, but we, we've been a challenger at heart since the inception. Dave Thomas started with the idea in 1969 that consumers deserve better. And, you know, he just said, look, I don't want to be for, you know, billions now, millions back then. I want to create an amazing um, product that I'd be proud to serve to my family. And you think about the fact that he didn't name it Dave's, right? He named it Wendy's. And I have a 14-year-old daughter, as I you know, mentioned at the beginning. To name anything Ainsley's, uh, I can assure you I know what that would mean at the heart of it. And that's where it started. That's the drumbeat in the heart of this brand. But I think us being able to build upon that, um, we are a challenger. Our competitors have bigger budgets than we do. And so we have to think differently, act differently. And that's what we do here. Whether it be the way we work together, uh, the partnerships that we have with the folks in operations, our franchisees, um, you know, what's going on throughout our crew as well. That matters as much as any programming we're putting out there that people might think of as traditional marketing. And so, you know, I think that collaboration is also um, one of those key points in, in how we've been able to accomplish what we have. You know, my partner in crime, our chief operating officer, his name's Deepak Ajmani, and he always says, this, none of this is real until it's real in the restaurant. And how true is that, right? So we can be out there with a powerful message talking about an unbelievable hamburger, but what matters most is what do you put in your mouth um, when you're done? And, you know, when you come into the restaurant and get that experience. So... I think all those things have really, you know, come together. 
And all of us here at Wendy's, it always starts with the consumer first. They're who we think about when we walk in the building. And, you know, it's what is a part of every conversation that we have. And as we leave for the day, um, it's all about that consumer and knowing that they're busy, they're on the go. They've got all kinds of challenges in their life. And if we can be that moment of joy for them when they come and, and grab Wendy's at our restaurant or maybe pick up their phone and, you know, laugh at a funny tweet that we have out there or the way that we engage in Twitter or Twitch or, you know, the likes of Fortnite, you know, it's that authenticity, I think, that's been able to build this brand over the right way. We've always been who we are and just really leaning into that versus trying to be um, something that we're not. And, and it resonates well with people. So I think it, it does give us the latitude, Jim, to do things that others can't. But we are fast. We do things that some may feel um, seem in, in some ways big risk, but I'll tell you, it's all based on a core strategy of knowing who we are, what, our consume, what matters to our consumers, and starting with amazing food. And because of that, I think it gives us a very clear path to what's in and what's out of bounds. And I, I think that that's uh, at the heart of what makes our marketing really good and, and ultimately the results that you talked about. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. You talked about your team immediately when I asked you that question. I'd like you to go there a little bit for us, Carl. Tell us about your team you know, how are you organized? What are the, what are the capabilities that you're striving to make stronger and stronger? So go there with us a bit. Tell us a bit about your team. You know, unbelievable team uh, in the marketing leadership group. You know, we've got a core group that has you know, decades of experience in marketing across the board and also decades of experience with how to engage in a franchise and restaurant community as well. And I think all those things really matter a lot. Um, you know, we have folks that run media and partnerships that have worked at the likes of Coca-Cola, um, Warner, um, really ultimately understand what it takes to be a great brand partner, but also drive partnerships and what's going to get the media teams to, to click. And, you know, what is that? Why does that matter? Because we don't buy anything off the shelf from any of our partners. And we probably can be the most frustrating partner that someone has, or we can be recognized like we were a couple of months ago by Fox. They asked me to come out and talk about how we do partnerships to be examples for the rest of their clients. And ultimately, what we recognize there is our ability to make their programming better, find ways to engage, drive that, you know, the storylines, make them more engaging. We can do a lot for their business as much as they can do for ours. And so, you know, I think having that within the team matters a lot um, in our media and partnerships lead. We've got, you know, someone here that runs all of our brand national calendar She's been in the business um, for a long time, worked for Wendy's for almost a decade and literally has a myriad of experiences throughout the building, um, but also just a, a great brand partner as well. And then, you know, I've got someone that runs all of our local and thinking about how do we take all this programming all the way down to the restaurant level, which matters a ton too, right? You've got to find ways to be able to take these big programs, make them relevant to our crew, find ways to get folks excited 
um, at the restaurant level, more, more than our consumers even for something like a March Madness, how do we drive all that engagement with our crew, our franchisees, et cetera. Um, and then as you might imagine, we've got you know, a great team in the PR side. I've got you know, a, a finance lead that's been around the business for a long time. And each and every day I'm saying, hey, where's the business moving? Where are the insights behind that? Um, and you know, it all actually starts with our insights team and, and ultimately coming and saying, look, Here's some things that we're seeing in the business. Here's what's going on with the consumer. Here's what you may or may not uh, be gleaning from all the data you're seeing in the news about what's going on with that consumer each and every day. What are the ways that we can insert ourselves in an authentic way to have a conversation with them? You know, engage in a new product that might be of interest, you know, all those things. So it always starts and ends with the consumer around the team. Um, So, you know, kind of backwards to forwards, making sure that we're starting from that inside piece. But I feel like We've also built out a great leadership team all the way around that to then go partner with a nice group of people that they can ultimately build that out uh, as well. Carl, I've heard you describe yourself as a fixer and a chooser. You like to fix things, you like challenges, you like turnarounds, and you choose very carefully the big stuff that can make an impact. And I think I'm even using your words there. So I want to talk about the chooser part. I mean, you're a fixer and a chooser. That's not easy. I'd like to hear about your process for deciding the big things. And how do you stay true to that? I appreciate the question. And it, it is um, core to how I, I engage every single day. I've always been in roles that were underdogs. I love those components. I think if everything's perfect, what's, where's the energy and excitement come from mm-hmm. around that? But look, when you get to a, a company the size of Wendy's, I just think that there's organizational momentum that you have to be really mindful of. And I started my career out of graduate school at PepsiCo. You wanna talk about organizational momentum, there's a lot there. And it was a great academy experience to learn a ton, but just each and every day, there's just stuff that's going on. And if you don't pause a moment to say, is what I'm working on right this second the most important thing to be working on, you could look back a year, you know, a year later and go, wow, uh, did, did I really focus on the things that were gonna drive the business? And that's how we start our marketing leadership team meetings. That's how we engage in the business. And candidly, over the last two years, there's unfortunately been a lot of times where we've had to pivot and said, you know what, for right now, I don't know if those are the right focus areas. But, you know, as a team, it's, again, it starts with a consumer. What are some core insights that we believe that either the category or Wendy's may be missing on? Um, are there things that they don't know about us, products that we might want to engage in? And where do we think the biggest bang for our buck can be in terms of driving engagement? I think the best example of that is our French fry launch. So, you know, that's actually a four-year project in the making. Um, And the reality was that the core insight behind that was cold and soggy fries suck. Like, let's just be clear about it. And the thing that goes out of not only our window the most, but McDonald's window the most, Burger King's window the most, like name a QSR, is French fries. And, you know, interestingly, as we looked at our product scores, it was one of the lowest performing products. Now, not because we're not necessarily doing a bunch of stuff wrong, but because people have high expectations and French fries are actually pretty fragile. They're great right out of the fryer, but Mm -hmm. stick them in a bag like they can get to the point where they're not that great. So we talked earlier about a great lunch at Wendy's can make your day. Sticking your hand in that bag and pulling out some cold and soggy French fries is like absolutely the worst experience in the world. So we just said, look, can we admit to ourselves that we can do better with the product, the way that our teams at the restaurant are making them, how that actually you know, is experienced by the consumer? 
And if we can get that right, think about how many people we can impact by just that one product. So we can talk about the next new flavor of hamburgers. We can talk about, you know, a new drink coming out of the freestyle machine. But what could be the biggest thing that we could impact? And it was fries. And the reason that it hadn't been worked on or hadn't been solved was because it was really hard. And so we had to work through everything from the product itself to the operational procedures. We spent a bunch of time in the restaurants with our teams to really understand all aspects of it and then go out and have a conversation with the consumer and convince them that what they may have thought was the best um, isn't anymore. And I know you've had plenty of experience with that back in your P&G days as well. And to get a nearly two to one claim over what was perceived Mm -hmm. as the best fry out there was huge news to us. Um, And we knew we had a great product, um, but to understand that and figure out the right way to go engage with the consumer was really important. So I think that's a great example of like, go pick something big, go lean in, do the work, put the investment behind it and don't let off the gas. And I think that's the other thing that a lot of us can get distracted by too, is like, well, what's the next thing? It's like the next thing is French fries, more of it. Um, because yeah, yeah. it matters. So, you know, that that's a, a, great, a big part a of what we're story. focused on. Yeah. And you'd have to be in a cave not to know that you have done that. You know, your your campaign was really, really powerful. How do you g- give us an idea of how many things do you focus on at any given time? Is it two or three? Is it five or six? And, and I know what your day is like. There's stuff coming at you all day. How do you stay true to the focus areas of big impact? Yeah, great point. Um, It should be five. It's probably 10 right now, to be perfectly honest Mm -hmm. with you. Um, But one thing I will share, and um, my team will chuckle when they hear this, but one of the things I ask them about on a fairly regular basis is whether you own your calendar or you have an assistant that helps you with that, are you having that dialogue with them about what your time ought to be spent Mm -hmm. on? And I think there's two things that indicate focus. One is money and two is time. And I think if all of us take a step back and take a look at our calendar and say, well, you're saying family is important to you. Well, that probably should be, you know, one of your big focus areas. Like, are are you doing right by yourself and your family? But then when you get into the work side of it, if you said, hey, look, if somebody took a look at your calendar, would they be able to ascertain what the biggest focus areas are for you on the business right now? And if the answer is they can't and looking at a couple of weeks of what you're spending your time in, I think that's a, a true indicator that you're missing something. So uh, that's a great exercise that I certainly go through um, each and every month and something I encourage my team to do as well. And, and I think it helps a ton. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You and your team are always trying new things. So you must have had a few mishaps, a few missteps, a few failures because you're just always experimenting. So how do you handle things that don't go well? And can you give us an example of that? Yeah, I, I think we got to find ways to, to fail fast. And look, we talked about it, it always starts at, at the beginning with consumer and insight around something. So I want to make sure that we're making smart bets. But there's absolutely things that we've put out in the marketplace that haven't performed quite as well as we like to hope. You know, one of the examples of a, a platform that has worked really well for us is our made to crave platform. So premium sandwiches, particularly in the environment we've been in the last couple of years. It's been fabulous. Nobody can put products like that out there. 
But there's been a couple of flavors that we put in tests as an example that we thought were going to be unbelievable. I'm from Texas. I happen to love queso. Um, the, key, the team came to me with a queso burger. It was unbelievable. It had green chilies in it. Um, and, you know, based on probably a little bit of personal bias, it was like, hey, let's take these great results and go give it a whirl. And the reality was it didn't do quite as well as we would have liked. I think you got to learn from that and say, all right, where might have we missed here? What was the kind of canary in the coal mine that would suggest that we could have done better in it? But, you know, I think that's an example of one where, you know, we were able to pivot quick, learn from it. And, you know, nobody got fired because of it. It was like, hey, um, we're going to have some big wins and we're going to need to find ways that we can fail efficiently to where it doesn't cost us a bunch of money or a bunch of time. I think, you know, other examples would be, you know, in the breakfast business, we knew that we needed to get in and get in fast um, with a a scaled breakfast that was better than the rest of the competition. But, you know, we knew that there were aspects of the menu that at our competition that we weren't going to be able to get out there with immediately. And so there are places where we know we can do better, um, but it's it's because we've been sort of efficiently thinking about how do we build on the momentum that we have. So, you know, those are probably a couple of examples of where we've been able to to jump in, learn fast, and, and ultimately pivot quickly. The other side of that question, and we've already talked about this a bit, Carl, is when things go well, really well, how do you handle that? I mean, I, mean, I guess fries is an example of that. You feed it, you invest more in it. So tell us about when things are going really well, how you handle that as well. Yeah, you, you hit on it. Uh, breakfast would be the other example of it. I mean, we created a billion-dollar business in the middle of COVID, um, which is just I don't know. Uh, I pause on that once in a while with the yeah, gang. Like, I can't believe have done we that. did this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was because we did all the work to make sure that we had a better breakfast and told a great story about it. And, um, you know, the breakfast that was out there was pretty tired. Been around since 72 with not much innovation in it. And we knew we could um, bring a lot of Wendy's to that. And we have um, fresh cracked eggs, amazing bacon that we're cooking in the restaurant every morning. And that's where we double down, right? I think there's there's an easy temptation to say, what's the next thing? And sometimes the next thing is more of the same thing. Breakfast, fries, you know, the world of, of those components have been big ones for us. And there have been times when we have something take off and then it's like, hey, I know we got things playing on the calendar. It's time to have a communication with the system to say, well, we're going to maintain what we've got going on. And that's where we have a great partnership with our group of of WeNAP, which is our franchise board, and, and ultimately be able to have a, a direct and honest dialogue with them as well around, you know, what we're thinking, why we might be making adjustments along the way. You know, spicy nugs when we brought that back. Well, first of all, let's talk about an opportunity area with the consumer. You know, we took spicy nugs off the menu. It was done for operational reasons before I was a CMO. And boy, did we hear about it. And, uh, you know, I think one of our other superpowers is listening. And, you know, we heard the consumer every day saying, hey, Wendy's, like giant mistake for taking spicy nugs off the menu. And, um, you know, it was funny the day that we all as a group kind of came together and said, all right, we need to make this change. Um, We need to get it back on the menu. And once we actually saw the momentum that was going from the announcement, the relaunch, really leaning into it, you know, we had planned to be on air probably for eight weeks. And, you know, next thing you know, we were on for three months because there was just so much momentum around that. And so, you know, you got to win with the winners. And ultimately in this business, you know, you can do all the testing in the world, put it in as many test markets as you want, but you're really not ever going to know until you get it out there in full national scale. And so, you know, that's where we just got to be smart about where we place our bets and 
hit a lot of doubles and triples and once in a while you get a home run and um you know if it's just a single like get done with it and move on to the next thing so i recently had a guest on this show uh kristen patrick at claire's also ex-pepsi and she talked about you know every brand that she has worked on in her career has has had culture at the center of the brand and that's one of her criteria i think for choosing where she works and your brand certainly is in the middle of culture and you are just really creative really fast in gaming and social in culture can you give us some ideas some tips some insights for those listening who would like to build a team that is responsive and consumer centric and experimental as your team is uh it's it's hard to think of a brand that is as quick and as funny and as strategic as your team is in being present in the top cultural issues of the day so tell us a bit how you do that you know the first thing i'll say jim is we've had um a number of key leaders come in and talk to us about what we're up to and um Fortune 50 companies. And the first thing that um, I say is, please, please don't try to be Wendy's. Um, Because the reason we're able to do what we are is because we're clear about who this brand is, what we're all about. We are a challenger with charm, um, but we've also spent a ton of time being very clear within our teams, within the agencies um, about how we're positioned. And you know, interestingly, I think you could walk around this, the entire restaurant support center and they could probably rattle off the brand positioning for you, which I won't share in full detail here. Um, but it also flows down to the restaurant as well. And so the language that our ops teams use, our trainings teams, et cetera. And so the clarity about who we are matters a lot. So that makes it a whole lot easier to have a briefing with the agency to say, look, let's have a conversation about X program and how we want to go have an engagement around it, or in the midst of all the challenges and, you know, and the positive things that are going on as well, how we're going to participate in that. So you think about Roast Day as an example, right? We literally created our own holiday that people tune into because they're excited and they think it's fun to get roasted by the Wendy's brand. And I could name off a hundred brands that it could ruin their brand to go try to do that in the day and so, you know, I think that's a great example of where being true to who you are leads to the engagement you have. But we've been able to identify some very clear guardrails in terms of how we want to engage. There's about 20 of them to say what's on and off limits, where are there some places that we've seen um, challenges within the rabbit hole. So we want to avoid those like the plague and then be able to have the trust with the team to say, look, you guys are all stewards of this brand. And there's no way that I could approve every tweet that goes out of this building. By the way, there are plenty that we talk about before um, they go out, but you got to have trust in the team. And I think, you know, it's one of the, the, the key things that I would point to in terms of the success we've had and I've had as a leader is you got to be clear about the strategy. You got to be clear about how you want to go accomplish that. And then you got to have trust in the team to say, all right, um, I can't stand over you at every moment of what you do. And that's whether that's a brand person that's coming up with the next idea in partnership with R&D or someone that's sitting there with the keys to the kingdom and the passwords to our Twitter handle. And, you know, they're going to put some stuff out there. But um, we do have a great team and, um, you know, with great leadership here in the Restaurant Support Center, but with our agency partners across the country. And, um, 
you know, we've gotten into a great rhythm over the last three or four years, but it, we've had a few missteps along the way, but overall the team just really does a great job. But hopefully that gets to the, the question. I mean, I think you can't be quick without knowing who you are. And I think a lot of the things that came through in the midst of COVID, um, some of the choices that we made um, in advertising, the way we engaged, the New York Times article that I took out about where's the beef because we had a beef shortage because we use fresh beef and others don't. You know, I think someone without or a team without the clarity could have walked into some really icy waters there to say, well, just this one time, might we consider something that isn't within our core standard because it's COVID and, you know, does that give us the latitude to do so? It's like, hell no, this is the time to really lean in and say, you might just find a chicken sandwich at Wendy's today. Here's why. And if you're finding hamburgers other places, you might want to ask yourself where that meat's coming from because it isn't in the U.S. because there isn't any. So I think that's kind of the nature of how we make that be successful. And so I just go back to for all the brands out there that are trying to figure it out, you know, do you have a brand positioning and could everyone on your leadership team and the ops leadership team and folks that work around you be able to rattle that off to have that much clarity around who you are and then get to, all right, now how do we want to go communicate that outwardly? Because if you're not clear about that part, you can get messed up pretty quick on the other pieces. Do you have any non-obvious lessons in, I mean, you, you, are, you operate in a large organization, as many of our listeners do, on ensuring the clarity of that positioning is understood and believed in by everyone in your system? Because they both have to be true. They have to understand it and believe in it for them to act on it. Any lessons in doing that? Because you do it very well at Wendy's. Yeah. If you walk into our boardroom right now, uh, the first thing you see is, I mean, a giant wall of words that's our brand positioning. That's how much it matters to us. Mm. And so literally at the heart of many conversations, if there's something that we're challenged with or we want to push on, et cetera, it's like, let's turn around and have a look at this and say, does it fit within that? You know, so that's how much it matters to us. And, um, you know, we've been able to get Got to it. some shorthand to make sure that the agencies and everyone else have clarity around it can talk about it. But this idea of we got your back around here matters a bunch. And you can pretty quickly get to, is that the right thing to do in marketing? Is that the right way to treat a customer? When somebody's calling into the call center, do we have their back if we ask them 8,000 questions before we refund their money? There's a lot of that that can, um, you know, it just can help you be really clear about who you are. And then, all right, how do we want to react, respond, or act in the middle of this stuff? As I read about you in prepping for this and listened to you a lot, actually, you sort of reminded me of another great leader in QuickServe, and that's David Novak, the former CEO of Yum Brands. You know, he, he's all about trust. He's all about bringing people with you. I think he even wrote a book with that, with that title. He's about building a culture of recognition and appreciation. He's about being brand and consumer-led, and he's, of course, about marketing innovation. So I'd like your reaction to that, because honestly, it's, it's authentic. I did, as I was reading about you and listening to you, I thought, he's, he's got a lot in common with David, who I do know and I admire, and I think he's been one of the great leaders in our industry at large, even beyond QuickServe. Yeah, I'm flattered. Um, I certainly have studied him and a lot of the way that he approached the work, and um, you know, these jobs as marketers, I think it, it is about all of those things coming together. You do have to be collaborative. You really have to, you know, start with the consumer, but ultimately find ways to bring you, you know, bring others along. And ultimately, um, there's no way sitting in this chair or in the other chairs of my colleagues around the country and the world, you can't do it all yourself. It's impossible. And I think there's a lot of different ways you can get people to get work done. You know, one is with the stick and I think the other is with 
the carrot and more importantly, folks understanding like and building together with you the vision of where we're going, because how much better does that feel if people feel like they're being listened to and they're a key part of um, what's going on? I mean, I, I firmly believe in the idea of the wisdom of the crowd. And, you know, you get a bunch of smart people together and you take the time to sit down and listen to one another and, you know, beat stuff up and have a healthy argument you're always going to end up in a better spot. And um, what I know about David, although I've never had a chance to meet him and I really would love to, I think there's a lot to be learned from sort of his vision of thinking about that things that way. And look, every time I walk into a meeting, do I have a perspective? Absolutely. And the team knows that. But I would say that if they were all sitting behind me, they would tell you that I can be convinced otherwise. You know, we have rational conversations about, you know, our approach to the work and, um, you know, more often than not, it's about what we come up with together versus some idea that Carl came up with. Um, but I think that matters a ton. And then, you know, my hope would be my cross-functional partners would also tell you that in a, in a strange way as a marketer, I have a ton of empathy for what's going on around this building and, you know, ultimately what it's like to work, you know, in a restaurant as a crew member. And, you know, I've Worked in uh, in the landscaping business back before I ever went to college in the summer heat in Houston, Texas. I know what it's like to work hard. You know, ultimately, getting down to the empathy around what that is like for a human being each and every day that's coming into work. Like, we can have the best programs in the world around here, but if we're not finding ways to have that roll through the teams here or all the way to the crew, it's hard to be successful. But um, yeah, I think a lot of those things that you mentioned, um, I've modeled my behaviors uh, around, and I'm not always perfect at it, but certainly try. Who have been some of your most influential mentors in your journey here? Hey, look, uh, I, I'd probably start with Kurt Kane, who's the president here mm-hmm. at, at Wendy's. Um, you know, I've known him for a long time. We met back in our days at PepsiCo. Uh, he was working on the Doritos brand. I was running the NFL at the time, and our partner with the NFL was the Lay's brand. And I was like, you know, we got a brand in this building that there's a lot of crunch and uh, energy around. It seems like it fit better with the Doritos brand. So I reached out to Kurt and a great relationship was formed. And, um, you know, over time we parted ways, but was excited to come and work with him. I think he's a great marketer um, and has become an amazing president here um, on the Wendy's U.S. business as well. And, you know, has taught me a lot along the way. So, you know, he's one that I would point to. Um, I learned a lot from Stephen Quinn, who was the CMO mm-hmm. at Frito-Lay when I first joined. Sure. And um, back in those days, to, to walk into Stephen's office, you could imagine as a you know, wet behind the ears ABM, um, there was fear, trepidation, and a lot of excitement that went into one of those uh, meetings. And he was just always a, a gracious leader. Um, he was one of those guys that you know, it started with the team and worked its way up versus the other way around. And I always appreciated that. But he was the one that really ingrained in me, like, how much are you thinking about the consumer? Have you really thought through this the right way? And I'm reminded of a story. (laughs) I was working on the dips business. Somehow I was reporting to Steven, which is just take that on for a minute. We had had some changes at Frito at the time. And so there were a couple of open holes. And he and I were talking about, you know, trying to grow this half a billion dollar dips business. And I think I'd been out of business school for a hot four months or something like that. And we were talking about a project and he said, where do you want to go with this thing? And I said, well, you know, here's what the research is suggesting and got this insight. But really, he said, what do you need? I said, well, I could use another hundred grand to go do some more research. And he said, that's interesting. How much time have you spent in a grocery store in the last month? And I was like, uh, like, I don't know. I went shopping there last week. 
And, you know, Stephen's point was, well, what's your perspective on what's going on with the consumer? And have you validated it yourself just by watching yourself and being a little bit creepy about it? And yeah, the research is interesting, but, you know, go form that hypothesis before you dig into all that stuff as much as anything, because you're a smart guy, you got eyes, ears. And, and honestly, if it just take a minute to listen with all of your senses and what's going on in the grocery aisle, you might find some things that, you know, two years worth of research might not have gotten. And by the way, there's some art and science to what we do as marketers. And so, um, you know, just really appreciated that as sort of the, the beginnings of my career at, at Frito-Lay and felt lucky to be able to, to work and partner with him as well. So he was great. Um, and my first, v, I guess he was a VP or a senior director at the time, who ultimately became the CMO of Walmart and then ran Sam's Club yep. for a bit was Tony Rogers. And uh, yep. he's always been right there for me in my career as well. And, you know, may have been one of the guys that called us about the digital and social work we were doing, too. So we've had a chance to uh, exchange positions and teacher and student a few times, too. So appreciate all those guys for what they've taught me. How about mentees, Carl? Because I know you love to mentor people. And I think you've even been part of the Ad Week program, as I have as well. So what, what about mentees? Any, any mentees or any topics you've talked with mentees that are particularly in, insightful or interesting for you? Yeah, I was a part of the program last year. And actually, Christian and I still talk uh, once a month, which is awesome. And uh, I signed up for it again this year and, and really excited to, to get rolling with it. But um, it, it's been interesting. When folks have called and, and asked for advice, I find that it often starts with this conversation around social and you know, hey, I'm trying to learn how to grow in this one aspect of marketing, don't have a ton of experience around it, are you willing to share? And more often than not, we get back to some of the things that you and I talked about at the at the onset, so I won't, you know, repeat them, but just saying, look, like, let's get back to clarity around who you are and your overall mm -hmm. strategies, then we can get to tactics. Um, so that's a big part of, of what I've shared. I'd say across my career, um, you know, whether it be old folks that I worked with at Frito-Lay, the agency side, um, and then ultimately um, even coming out of CraftMade, there's a number of folks along the way that, again, maybe you'd call them my mentees, but sometimes they're my mentors, but it's just mm -hmm. folks that I feel like we can share in experiences, be honest, um, and challenge one another around things that we're working on to say, hey, did you think about it this way? Or, you know, let's get back to the basics here, because I think in the hustle and bustle of everything we're up to, sometimes we forget those pieces. So it's good. Your career path was a pretty traditional path to CMO. You were at Kraft, at Dell for a bit, Frito-Lay, Kraft made as CMO, until you went to an ad agency <laughs> before joining Wendy's. So what was that about? Why did you make that decision after a, a, a pretty long and successful career on the client side? And then you bounce back to a prominent client. So tell us about that. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the question. It's funny you say that it's traditional. I feel like uh, people look at my background and they go, wait, you have a BA in fine arts and theater and dance? Were you a dancer? Like, how in the <laughs> hell did you end up becoming a marketer? Well, not totally traditional, then, okay? <laughs> but no, you know, it's funny. I even bounced back to that. Uh, I went to college to, I thought I was going to be a, a technical director and produce shows. Um, and whether that be moving... Well, you're sort of doing that. You're sort physics, of physics, hydraulics, that. moving stuff on and off stage. The show must go on with lighting and sound. Guess what I do every day? And uh, so I had a bunch of friends in college that were economics majors that gave me a bunch of crap about it. As it turns out, I think it was probably the most applicable undergrad that you could have for what I do every day. But um, yeah, look, Kraft, PepsiCo, those academy um, pieces, being able to move on to become the chief marketing officer at Kraft made. 
you know, a couple of things happened. Uh, quite candidly, we went through a hostile takeover attempt at CraftMade. We were a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. And one of our strategic competitors loved what we were doing and decided they wanted to own us. And so we fought it off. Um, it was right in the middle of the you know, giant housing downturn that was going on. And that was a big piece of the CraftMade business. But the board and all of our shareholders believed in what we were doing. And so we fought it off. And then they came back, I don't know, probably eight months later and said, all right, if we're willing to do it the right way and give you a fair price, we still think this could make sense. Would you do it? And we said, yeah, that's our fiduciary you know, duty, of course. Um, and so that led to some opportunities to kind of think about what would be next. And to be honest, the ad agency had always been a bit of a black box. You write a brief, you flip it over, you know, at the time you fax it over. Nowadays, we can you know, send it via email. But um, to be able to have that dialogue um, and ultimately understand what all that, like, how do you really and truly go engage with the consumer each and every day was just something I felt like was necessary as I built out my overall career. Because again, I'd kind of had this as you think about a lot of the brands I worked on, the opportunity to be, you know, kind of on the challenger side of a variety of businesses that may have been big brands, but struggling a bit or, you know, kind of trying to find their way. But that engagement with the creatives to try to figure out how do you help them understand the business challenge and what you're trying to, you know, accomplish from a creative perspective. I just was really excited about the opportunity to go do that. And um, so that's how I ended up there. It was an unbelievable um, step in my career because you know, ultimately ended up leading a creative team, probably 80, 90 people, um, the overall team that we had across a bunch of different businesses and ran our multicultural practice at the marketing arm. And so I just feel like I have a lot of that to, to fall back on, particularly when we're having a tough conversation with the agency or you know, we're struggling to kind of get to the same place. It's like, all right, well, let me think about what their approach is here. Why might they be thinking about it this way? But more than anything, just to work through the craft of uh, the marketing side, too. And it, it was a great four-year piece. And, you know, ended up at Wendy's, innocently enough, um, by calling on one Kurt Kane to say, hey, we may have some uh, opportunities to help you out as an agency. And, you know, as things happen, one conversation led to another. And a year or so later, I ended up coming to work here. But um, it was, it's been a great journey. And this is just such an unbelievable brand, Jim. I feel lucky every day yeah, to agree. be here. Yeah. Um, it's, it's awesome. So it's been a cool journey and, and ultimately to have landed here with all those experiences to help me continue to work with this team and find ways to grow um, every day despite, I don't know, hurricane force you know, winds that have been in our face for the last couple of years. So we're kind of looking forward to just a light breeze or even a heavy breeze would be fine. But uh, <laughs> if we could get out of the Cat 5, that would be nice. Yeah. You, you've served on the Spotify Board of Advisors for a while. How has that experience helped you in your day-to-day -day job as CMO? Yeah, uh, it's, it's been awesome. Um, you know, sometimes we can get myopically focused on the challenges of our own brand. So, you know, I've had a chance to sit on, on their board as well as the, the Twitter advisory board as well. And I think both to hear the challenges that they're facing as Spotify and Twitter, as well as the rest of the, my compadres that are a part of that discussion too. So, I think just to be able to have empathy around what's going on around us and then, you know, be able to help them with, as someone that's buying a product from you, here are three or four things I would love to see. Um, and oh, by the way, how can we better be better partners? It's just nice to be able to have a moment to have those kind of engagements as well. Carl, let's move to the creative brief. And my first question is you have teenage twins, a son and a daughter. What's been their best advice to you about Wendy's? That's a great question. 
Well, I tell you, they're always looking over my shoulder looking at rough cuts, and they've got a lot of advice <laughs> about those. Um, my daughter's uh, number one piece of advice, which actually came to fruition or is going to in about two weeks, was she had a chance to try the Strawberry Frosty last summer and was like, you better get that oh. thing in market. And um, we have. And so we're, uh, we're excited to get that out Memorial Day. So that's probably the biggest piece. Um, Gage has given me a lot of advice about gaming. And so, um, you know, I, I admittedly am not the, um, the best at Madden. He still can beat me every time we sit down to play. But, um, you know, whether it be early learnings around Twitch, um, a lot of the engagement that's going on in the world of gaming, um, you know, he's been a great advocate for young folks that are, you know, truly engaged in new platforms and those types of things. And then even as we got, have gotten into the metaverse, he was the first one to throw an Oculus on my face and say, hey, you got to check this out. What are you guys going to do um, in this world? Because you've gotten it going on with Twitch, but you got some work to do over here in the world of, of Oculus. So what's next? Obviously, we got to some great stuff with the likes of Meta around that. But um, those are the big ones from from the twins. Good lesson in getting your kids involved in your work. I, I always did as well. And it was always helpful for a lot of the same reasons you're talking about. Just keeping you in touch with what's emerging, what's trending, getting a much younger point of view. I think it's always important wherever we are in our career. Yeah, no doubt. Ainsley's definitely going to become a marketer. Gage still has his eyes set on being a major league catcher, but we'll see how it goes. Hey, <laughs> keep going. That's great. Hey, um, I know a lot, you referenced this earlier, a lot of CMOs visit you for advice because you are so innovative and experimental and successful. What is your most frequently delivered advice to them? Is it about understanding who they are and staying true to that, or is it something else? Yeah, that's the biggest one. Um, so I, I won't uh, go into it too much more since we've mm-hmm. talked about it. But look, like I said, I feel like there's a lot for us to think about as leaders of these businesses around just organizational momentum. And, um, you know, Todd Pinnagore, you ask about some of the people that have influenced me a lot. Todd Pinnagore has this statement that, man, it rang true with me, which was, hey, let's all be the leaders that we've been waiting for. And, mm. you know, you start getting into these roles and you're looking around for like, who's going to fix something that you're complaining about, you know, at dinner with like my wife, Kelly. And she's like, hey, you're the guy, like, go fix it. And um, I appreciate that perspective from Todd where, you know, he said, look, you're the guy. You you guys are the leadership team. If you've got something that you feel like we can do better, like... And Todd is your CEO, of course, for our listeners. Yeah, time time to look in the mirror. Let's get going. So, um, you know, those are similar things that as I've had conversations with my peer set, um, we talk about that a lot. And uh, there's a lot of pressure in these roles to deliver every day, particularly for those of us that are publicly traded. And you got to keep your eye on the ball for where you're going for the next three years. And the other piece, Tim, that we've talked a lot about, particularly in the last couple of years, are people. You know, I'd be remiss if I suggested that, you know, we're in a business as usual situation and we've gotten pretty darn good at the likes of hybrid. You know, we all worked in this building every day two and a half years ago. That's not the case, you know, anymore. But, you know, our teams have been through a lot. And I think there's been a lot of self-reflection, a lot of thinking about what's next. And so we got to find ways to build culture. The culture of Wendy's was always here in this building since Dave built it. And now we got to figure out other ways to do that. But um, that's been a big topic of conversation, too, just to say, like, hey, we've got great folks, great teams, been through a lot. How do we make sure that, you know, they're making it through the other side as better human beings, better family members and, um, you know, better marketers? You know, we don't get to have the, the benefit of standing around a water cooler or walking down a hall and saying, hey, do you see how we had that conversation with the agency? Well, 
you know what I said? Do you know what I really meant? Um, you know, that type of stuff. Some of that soft touch is really hard right now. So we've been chatting about that quite a bit. What's your favorite pickup truck ever? Oh, I got to tell you, I'm a GMC guy, but my truck's a 2015 four-door. And Kurt always says you can get him out of Texas, but you can't take the Texas out of him. Here's a brand that's done some work over the last decade because I would have been caught dead in a Ram 10 years ago. And, you know, for all my friends that are out there that are uh, on the the Ram team, just hear me say it's probably my next truck because you guys have done an awesome job. And uh, so I'm looking looking for a three quarter ton Ram. That's probably my next my next one. Who's been the greatest inspiration in your life? We'll end on that question. My grandfather uh, worked for Boeing and actually worked for the, the NASA space organization. So he was a, a big part of my life growing up with my parents being divorced and my stepdad passed away when I was relatively young. And um, you know, it was just always the guy that I could call for advice about life, um, advice around business. But you know, I think he just gave me the, the benefit of seeing a guy who not only had a great professional career, who I believe did it the right way, but also um, was an example of a, a good family man too and, and figured out a way to balance those things. And so um, for all the things that he did, the lessons he taught me along the way, I would say it was my grandfather. All right. Well, listen, this Carl, we'll have to have a strawberry frosty soon. Yeah, let's I'm do looking, it. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Carl, thank you. Appreciate it. That was my lively conversation with Carl Laredo. Three takeaways from this one for your brand, business, and life. The first takeaway is know who you are and ensure everyone in your organization, in your system, share that understanding and believe in that understanding. Wendy's does this about as well as anyone. When I asked Carl about how he does it, he said, you walk into our boardroom and who we are is on the wall and we make every decision based on who we are. Second takeaway, listening as a superpower. This company and this culture just listens all the time. The consumer is part of every conversation. Because they listen so well, they react to what's happening in culture, and they immerse themselves in new platforms, new technologies, and new ways to engage with their consumer. Third takeaway, the next best thing is sometimes more of the same successful thing. Carl talked an awful lot about personal focus and focus on his leadership team. He talked about how they developed these amazing French fries. And when they talked about what do we move on to next, they said, let's not move on. Let's keep feeding the successful introduction of their improved French fries. So as you're out there and you're managing your business day to day, think about what's working and maybe feed that more than moving on to, quote, the next best thing. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.